Father, we thank you so much for uh, this uh, change of seasons. That, that comes from you. The scripture tells us that you put all of this into effect. And there are things, Lord, that, uh, that, that, that we know will be there because you instituted them and you created them and you sustained them. We are grateful, Lord, for the fact that uh, your mercies are new every morning, even as uh, we get older and life goes by faster and faster. Uh, the older we get, we just have more to look back on and see your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And as we look back on what you have done for us and how you have made a way and how you have provided, it gives us hope when we encounter things, uh, unexpected things, and we're reminded of how faithful you've been and how gracious you've been. And, and you are not going to stop being faithful. You're not going to stop sustaining and providing and making a way. So that gives us hope. It gives us uh, uh, a positive spirit as we move on through life. Even as we look at our world and things are uh, getting worse and worse, things are falling apart. It's just the way things are. And we're not surprised by that because we read your word and we know what you say there. So our, our trust is not in anything other than in you. We ask, Lord, uh, we, we would ask tonight for wisdom. No matter where we are in life, this is the first time we've been here. If... Uh, if we've just turned 71, we've never been 71 before. We've been 70. We've been 60, but never 71. If we're 35, we've never been 35 before. This is a new stretch of trail. Every day is new. And every day we need wisdom. I think of Psalm 90. So the days of our lives, they contain 70 or due to strength, 80 years but soon it is gone and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. There's some guys uh, tonight that are here, Lord, that probably are facing some major decisions in their lives. And they are acutely aware of the fact that they need your wisdom. They need to hear from you. And we would pray for them, Lord. We, we would join with them as, as they ask you for that wisdom. And you've promised to provide the wisdom. You promised, Lord, if, if we'll ask, that you'll give it to us in full measure. And, and we thank you for that promise. We're, we're grateful that we're not walking through life by ourselves. We're grateful, Lord, that we're not atheists. We're grateful, Lord, that we're not Muslims. We're grateful that we're not Buddhist. Uh, we don't say that. Uh, with, with arrogance. We, we just say it with all humility that you have reached down and you've given us new hearts and you have opened our blind eyes and shown us the truth of the greatness of Jesus and what he has done for us. And it's through him that we have a relationship with you, Father. So we ask the Spirit of God to teach us tonight to make this time profitable, to give us what we need to meet, uh, to, to, to meet each situation that's here. We're coming from different uh, places in life. And uh, for some of us, uh, we're doing real well. Others are having a hard time. Uh, some guys are just flat out beat up and crushed. But you're near to the brokenhearted, and you save those who are crushed in spirit. So we call to you, and we look to you. And we pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin tonight with three statements. The first statement I actually gave to you last week. But it's a statement that is worth repeating. And the statement is this. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all that you have. And I'll repeat that one more time. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all that you have. We have been studying here uh, this fall, we, we have been uh, doing a study of the Red Sea, and that comes under the umbrella of events, events that uh, occur in our lives. Um, we, we have made the point that in our lives, as we're on this trail of life, 
You know, Jesus spoke of two trails. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Jesus could have said, broad is the trail. Uh, I like that word, trail. Uh, Just think for a minute, all the verses in the Bible that speak of the trail. Well, you can't think of any, can you? Because there aren't any. I've never seen the word trail in the Bible. But have you ever seen the word, uh, you ever seen the word path? What's a path? Path is a trail. Have you ever seen the word way, W-A-Y? What's a way? It's a path, it's a trail, it's a road. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Uh, We're we're on a path. Um, John Bunyan wrote a book about 300 years ago because there was an interruption in his plans. Uh, He was a a tinker. He... uh, he fashioned uh, pots and pans and repaired things. And he was a profane and foul-mouthed young man. And one of the ways that he would get some fun is that they had a lot of open-air preachers back then in England. And he would always make sure when he came across a preacher preaching out in the open that he'd cuss the guy out or take rocks and throw it at the guy. And then one day he met Christ. And it changed his whole life. And... This profane young man, uh, it turns out, who was not really highly educated, uh, became one of the most powerful preachers in all of England. And people were coming to Christ by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And um, it, it be, be, began to be a problem. And he was uh, charged and he was hauled up before the magistrate. And basically, the magistrate said, I am going to send you to so many years in prison. But uh, you can commute your own sentence anytime you wish. All you have to do is to promise me that you will stop preaching the name of Christ. So he went to prison. Uh, John Bunyan had a family. And back then, uh, there was no welfare. There was no assistance from the state. And because he was in prison and couldn't provide and couldn't go about his business and couldn't preach, uh, he, his family became destitute. He had a little girl. He had, I think, four children. And one of his uh, girls was named Mary. And Mary had been born blind from birth. And when his family would come to visit him in his prison cell, and then it would be time for leave, and little Mary would have to crawl out of his lap and leave, he said it was so, like someone just ripping the muscle right off of his bone. And they'd remind him, John, we'll let you go. You can leave right now if you promise not to preach the gospel. Uh, John Bunyan never planned on that event in his life. He never planned on being thrown in prison. But he was. And a lot of people could not understand why God, a lot of Christian people could not understand why John Bunyan, who quite frankly was the most powerful preacher in all of England, why would God allow him to be put into prison? Well, one of the things we've learned uh, about God is that God works providentially, but God also works strangely. And as John Bunyan was in that prison, one of the things that prisoners were allowed was uh, uh, writing instruments and and paper. So John Bunyan began to write. He'd really never written much before in his life, but he began to write. And he began to write, he began to write, he began to write. And they took his stuff and they turned it into books. And uh, This great preacher was locked up in jail, but while he was in jail, he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, do you know that next to the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress is the best-selling book of all time? Of all time. See, they couldn't understand. Why would God take this effective preacher and put him in the jail? Because God wanted this effective preacher to reach more people than he could ever imagine. But God worked strangely. So he was put in jail. An event that John Bunyan had never planned on. But God had planned on the event. Uh, When we talk about events, we're making the point that in our lives, there are no random events. There's no luck. There's no chance. It's not the luck of the draw. Because God is in charge of our lives, and God is in control of everything, and because God is sovereign. And the reason I keep beating this drum is that That used to be believed by Christians, but increasingly it is being uh, believed by fewer Christians. 
God is in charge. God is in control. And so these events that happen in our lives, some events, you know, we, we plan on, others uh, we look forward to. Some events, when they come into our lives that we didn't know about, they're very wonderful. They're very positive. Uh, but others, uh, other events are, 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 are negative. We don't see the good in them. We don't see why God would allow this event to come into my life at this time. Yet God is in control over all things and all events. Sometimes what God does is he allows us and he leads us into a crisis that basically takes away everything. That's what happened to John Bunyan. But what is the phrase? You don't know how much. I can't remember the phrase. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all that you have, and that's all John Bunyan had in jail. Here's a second phrase from Matthew Henry. Uh, perhaps you have a copy of Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible. Uh, I believe you wrote it back in the 1700s. Great, great expositor, commentator. Matthew Henry says, said this, God sometimes raises difficulties in the lives of his people that he may have the glory of subduing the difficulties and helping his people over them. One more time. God sometimes raises difficulties in the lives of his people that he may have the glory of subduing the difficulties and helping his people over them. Now that's why we're talking about events, because the events that happen in our lives, when we hit the events that are tough and unexpected and difficult and uh, that, that shatters our world, we need to understand that event is no shock to God. That event is no surprise by God. That event is under the control of Almighty God. Now, here's a third quote. And this one comes from John Calvin. Calvin said this. Oh, and by the way, see, when we talk about the fact that God is in control, and if you've been in this study the last couple of years, we, we've been, we, we just keep hammering this thing. God's in control. God's in charge. The devil is not in the details. God's in the details. God, God, provi uh, God is the creator. He's created it all. He owns it all. He runs it all. He sustains it all. God is a micromanager. God is in the details. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for history. God has a plan for the ages. This thing is on course. This thing is on schedule. We get upset. We look around. We don't understand. It seems like things are out of control. Nothing is out of control. That's the providence of God. That's the providence of God. All right, now, now. But once again, when you look at evangelical Christianity as a whole, you rarely hear that taught. Rarely do you hear that taught. And, and some people, you know, they go, oh, wait a minute, hold on, God's in control? God's in control of everything? Everything. But what about my will? What about your will? You little wuss. Well, you got a will, and I've got a will. There's no question we, we have a will. We, we can make choices. And throughout the scriptures, we are called on to make right choices. You read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a father talking to his son. Read through Proverbs sometimes, and every time you see the two words, my son, my son, my son. You know what he's talking to his son about? It's a, it's a father who's got 20, 25 years on his son, he's further down the trail of life. And he's speaking to his son, and he is giving wisdom to his son so that his son might incorporate wisdom into the choices that he makes. So we say God's in control of everything, but that doesn't negate the fact that God has given us a will, and God has given us choices, and we're not robots. And you say, well, wait a minute, how does that work? That, those, that seems to be a contradiction. That God's in control of everything, and God's in charge of everything, and God has a plan, and God has a purpose, and, and it's all written out before the foundations of the world, yet I have a choice, and I have a will, and I'm not a robot? That's right. Oh, that, that's contradictory. No, it isn't. It's an antinomy. A-N-T-I-N-O-M-Y. 
An antinomy is an apparent contradiction between two facts. So the choices that I make, the choices that you make, are important, they're significant, and we are responsible for our choices. And we can be stupid or we can be wise. We can take shortcuts or we can go God's way. That's true for every one of us in this room. But, but God's in charge of everything you're saying. That's what the scriptures say. He's in charge of everything. But that's still a little baffling to me. Well, you know, join the club. Just because we don't understand it all doesn't mean that it isn't true. We've got limited understanding. Do we not? Sure we do. But this is what the Bible declares. So in light of all of this, let me go to John Calvin's quote. Calvin said this. And a lot of Christians don't like John Calvin. They've never read him. They just don't like him. Because isn't that that Calvinism stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But you ever read the guy? You ever read what he said? You gotta read him sometime. Here's what Calvin said. He said, when the light of divine providence, that's what we've just been talking about. When the light of divine providence has once shone upon a godly man, he is then relieved and set free, not only from the extreme anxiety and fear that were pressing him before, but from every care. One more time. Because, hey, listen, guys, life is hard. Life is stressful. Life's full of pressure. Uh, life is full of crisis, unforeseen events. Some of you guys are dealing with stuff that was not on your radar screen, and it's really upset your life. Maybe it has to do with one of your kids, and you can't believe where your kid is. And, and it's just turned the whole family upside down. Uh, or, I mean, maybe it's a financial setback. I mean, it's a health thing. I mean, it could be a hundred different things. See, this is where the providence of God is it's a tragedy we've lost the providence of God because it is one of the most reassuring doctrines in all the Bible. One more time on this. When the light of divine providence has once shone upon a godly man, he is then relieved and set free, not only from the extreme anxiety and fear that were pressing him before, but from every care. And that's true. Hudson Taylor uh, was the founder of the China Inland Mission. Uh, missionaries had gone to China before, but they all stayed on the coast because on the coast it was comfortable. And on the coast, uh, you know how the British had a way of uh, establishing their colonies and they had a way of establishing Basically, the British could go anywhere in the world, and they could. You give them five years, and it looked. It was just like London. I mean, you had the clubs. Uh, you could have your tea in the morning and your crumpets, and um, they just had a way of doing that. So it was very comfortable for the missionaries to stay on the coast where the British influence was. But Hudson Taylor was the first guy to go in. He started the China Inland Mission. You ever looked at a map of China? Well, 99% of it is inland. So he went inland, and he kind of freaked the other missionaries out because you know what Hudson Taylor did? Um, he grew a ponytail. And that didn't go over real big with the British stiff upper lips. And uh, he took off his English clothes, and he bought one of those Chinese deals, long robe and a little hat. And, and uh, he, 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 learned, uh, he learned the dialect, and he went inland. And God greatly used uh, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor's motto was, the Lord's work done in the Lord's way always has the Lord's provision. And so uh, Hudson Taylor was always encountering crisis. Always. Unforeseen events. Uh, when he was in his later years, there had been a real tragedy, and one of the missionary families had been killed 
for their witness of Christ. And word spread, and it was everyone's hearts, they were just broken and shattered, and it was just a devastating loss. And then someone said, does Mr. Taylor know? Has anyone told Mr. Taylor? And he was pretty much on his last years. And so a couple of them went up to his little home to check on him and to see if anyone had told him the news. And as they got close to his house, they could hear him singing, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. He'd heard the news. And it, it, it broke his heart. But he was singing, Jesus, I am resting, resting. Why? Because even in the martyrdom of a Christian family, he believed in the providence of God. That God was in control of all things. And see, when you believe in the providence of God, it relieves you of extreme anxiety. My daughter Rachel told me something uh, just in passing, a conversation, uh, I don't know, six months ago, eight months ago. She was over at the house and we were just talking one day. And uh, somehow we were talking about, uh, well, I just, she, she said, hey, Dad, uh, uh, I have a theory. And my, my theory is, and she, her roommate from college, they had come up with this theory together. She said, what do you think is the best emotion? I said, the best emotion? She said, yeah. I said, I don't even think like that. <laughs> I said, I don't know, Rach. The best emotion. She said, well, you know, there are all kinds of different emotions. And I said, yeah. She said, what, what is the best one? I said, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I'll watch Oprah tomorrow, and I'll tell you. I, I don't know. She said, you know what we think, Dad? We think relief is the best human emotion. I think about that from time to time. I, I think that's pretty good. When you're under incredible pressure, and you're under an incredible stress, and you're in a crisis, and you're not sure you're going to make it, and you're not... You know, and, and, then, and then God resolves it and God takes care of it and it's over and it's done and you've got closure and then you... <sighs> That's relief. Now here's the great thing about God. When you get a grip on divine providence, you can experience a measure of relief before God brings the matter to conclusion. If, if... Now, now, you don't start out this way. In the Christian life, we don't start out this way. But we're supposed to be growing in the Christian life. And we're supposed to be applying our faith. But see, in order for us to get to that point where, where we can take divine providence and apply it to our lives and apply it to our situation, what is it that we have to do? We have to, now catch this, when we hit crisis, we have to think. We have to think. We have to think about what is true. Now, we're doing this Red Sea thing. We've been in this now for four years. And that, that was humor. It was like, that was like the brick thing. Only that wasn't a joke. Well, it was a joke. We haven't been in it four years. We've been in, what, four weeks, five weeks? I don't know. But we, we all know the Red Sea story. But one of the things that we have pointed out is that uh, the reason they were at the Red Sea is that God had led them to the Red Sea. And then when they first got to the Red Sea, everything was good. Everything was sweet. They'd just come out of Egypt. They weren't going to be slaves anymore. They're going to the promised land. They're going to get houses they didn't build. You ever had a house you didn't build given to you? I mean, usually we got to pay for a house. They were going to get houses they didn't build. They were going to get cisterns they didn't hewn out of the rock. They were going to get crops they didn't plant. I mean, it was going to be incredible. So they're doing pretty well. Uh, their kids aren't going to be slaves. Their grandkids aren't going to be slaves. I mean, it's a whole new day after 430 years. So everything's good when they get to the Red Sea. But then 
But then they're going to encounter a crisis. And why were they going to encounter a crisis? Because God has led them into the crisis. But what did Matthew Henry say? God sometimes raises difficulties in the lives of his people that he may have the glory of subduing the difficulties and helping his people over them. Uh, That's what happens as we go through life. We're on this trail. We're on this path. And we're going to encounter different things that God has planned and God has ordained that we don't know anything about. I need my Bible. Let's go to Exodus 14. Now, we know the story. I mean, we know the story exceedingly well. Many of us have known it since we were little kids in Sunday school. So you go Genesis, then you go Exodus, and you get to 14, and you've got the whole story set right here in motion. And we read 13, the people are afraid because they see Pharaoh's army coming behind them. You guys know this now. They got 600 chariots, and uh, they got the Red Sea in front of them, and they got the mountains on either side. So there's no escape, and all their hopes and dreams are over and done. It's panic, it's fear, there's worry. I mean, it's, they're toast. It's, it's all over. Uh, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Don't fear, stand by, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Today. And then something very interesting happens because you see the way that God was leading them and he would lead them in the desert for the next 40 years they had to wait 40 years because the unbelief of the 10 spies in numbers 13 that was yet to happen but God was going to lead them by a cloud by day which became a pillar of fire by night cloud by day because in that neck of the woods in that desert it can have 130 degrees in the daytime, and you don't have trees. So the cloud would protect them from the sun. At night, if you've ever been in a desert, it can be excruciatingly hot in a desert, but at night it gets excruciatingly cold. So that cloud at night would become a pillar of fire, and that was their central heat. So God was providing for them. Now this cloud was here at the Red Sea. And as Moses says, don't fear, God's going to do something great, and he's going to deliver you today, Today, it's going to happen. You're going to see God do something immediately here. So they cry out, and God comes through, and he opens the sea. Now, here's what's interesting. That cloud, which was ahead of them and was leading them, and they would follow, as God opened that sea, and as they walked across on dry land, which is phenomenal, isn't it? You know what amazes me? I'm an incredible worrier. I mean, I'm pretty darn good at it. And sometimes I have trouble going to sleep because I'm thinking about this and this and this. And then I'm, I'm thinking through all the way, you know, and then the fat, and then, the, and then you got that, and then what if, oh my gosh, and if that happens. And then after, you know, finally, four or five hours, you get a little resolu- resolution, you start and fall off to sleep. And then I'll think of another detail. That ever happened to you? Wait, wait a minute, well, what if, what, what if that happened? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it's shot now. I might as well just get up and, you know, start the day. You ever do that? You ever worry about the details? God not only opens the Red Sea. Oh, oh, it's staggering. You know, this water just piles up in walls. He not only opens up the Red Sea, but they walk across on dry land. There's no mud. They're not getting over on the other side going like this. Hey, you kids, don't bring those shoes into the house. Well, there is no house, but don't bring them into the dirt. (laughs) Get that mud off. There was no mud. You see, because God takes care of details. He's a micromanager. That's providence. So you got two million of these people, including the wives and the kids, and they're crossing. Now, here's what happened. Because Pharaoh's army is on their, on their tail and coming right up on them. So what does God do? God takes that cloud and the cloud which is in front of them. The cl- and you, you can read this in the text there, uh, beginning with uh, uh, verse 19. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other 
all night. So this cloud comes and descends, and what it does is it confuses Pharaoh's army. And it's like this pea soup fog. It's sort of like the, uh, uh, what happened with George Washington we talked about last week when he had 9,000 soldiers trapped on Brooklyn. And they hadn't built the Brooklyn Bridge yet. And they had to get those guys out of there, and they evacuated them at night. But they couldn't get them all in before the sun came up. And just as the sun started to come up, out of nowhere comes this pea soup fog that descends on Brooklyn and on that river. And they got across to the other side. They didn't lose one man. Well, see, this is what God did here. He puts this cloud and he confuses the enemy and they go ahead and cross, two million of them. Uh, this is a great story because Moses said, don't fear, God's going to take care of this today. Now, here's where I'm going with this. We've all had situations in our lives where we've cried out to God and God has taken care of the situation almost immediately. You've seen, if you walk with Christ for any length of time, You've seen him do that in your life, and I've seen him do it in my life, and it just thrills us. But there are times when God does not send his answer immediately. And so then what do you do? You're under incredible pressure. You're under circumstances that are threatening. Once again, you don't see any escape. You don't see any way out. You're, you're, you're being pressured. You... you I mean, you're, you're getting sharp pains in your chest from the anxiety and from the worry, and you're calling out to God, and there's nothing. You're, you're not getting the immediate response. Well, what do you do in that situation? You know what's interesting to me? There are times in the Christian life, I think, you know how that cloud went back and descended on their enemy and confused the enemy? I think there are times in the Christian life when that cloud comes and descends on me. And confuses me. And I'm not sure what to do next. And I'm not sure what to go. And I'm under incredible pressure. But if, you ever find that pea soup fog descending on you? That ever happened to you? You ever ask, Lord, make a way and, and, and get me through this? And you don't, and I mean, you're in it. It's, it's, you ever get confused? You ever, you ever get, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's, it's not clear. I, 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 mean, I see this plus and I see this plus and this negative. Sure you do. There are times, guys, catch this, there are times when God wants us confused. Did you know that? There are times of confusion. There are times of uncertainty. There are times when, there were, there were times in Israel, when they were wandering for 40 years, there were times, hey, when the cloud moved, they moved. But when the cloud stood still, they stood still. And there's nothing more difficult for a man than to have to wait upon God. We don't want to wait. Uh, what do you do? What do you do when you're waiting for God to answer? What do you do when you're waiting for God to make things clear? If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Verse 17. In Proverbs 16, there's a great little nugget. Proverbs is full of these nuggets. But in 16, it says this. Chapter 16, verse 17. It says, the highway of the upright. You don't see that term too often in the scriptures. The highway of the upright. The interstate of the upright. The, the, the toll road. Of the upright, now catch it, we're on a trail, right? We're on a path, we're on a road, we're on a highway. We're, we're following Christ, okay? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. What do you do when it's not clear what you should do? What do you do when you're under intense pressure? What do you do when you're under uh, uh, unbelievable stress and anxiety and worry and you feel like, well, I've got to do something? Well, here are a couple things. Number one, 
Obey him. Obey him. Obey his word. Do the last... Look, whatever you know you should be doing and you can do, do. So get up and go to work. Don't call in sick. Get up and go to work and show up. Uh, do what you know you should be doing. And, and once again, you say, but man, sometimes, you know, this, I'm just, it, it's like I'm frozen. No, you, no, no, you got to move. You got to keep doing what he's called you to do. But here's the deal. When, when you're in a season and you're waiting for God and you're waiting for God to come through for you, here's the other part of that. It says the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. See, that's, that's, that's a principle for us at all times. Uh, you want to know God's will? You, are, are, are you involved in an habitual sin? You know what God's will is? Is that you confess the habitual sin? Is that you bring it to Him? And by the power of the Spirit, it says in Romans, if, if, we are, if by the Spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the body, we shall live? What does that mean? Uh, the, the thing that gets most guys is pornography. It, it's what gets us because it's so available. It's everywhere. And we've talked about this how many times in here. But the thing about pornography is, I, I, I mean, every time you turn around, I, um, I was checking something. I was doing some research today on the Internet, and they had this link to this source. And I went to the source, and there's the article and then right next to it, it says, see Paris uh, Hilton nude. Well, I'm trying to do some research. But suddenly you can see this, see her nude. I wasn't looking for that. It was, it was there. So, so suddenly I got, I got two paths I can take there. So I went ahead and clicked the Paris thing. I've never seen her nude. I've seen her crazy, but I've never seen her nude. No, I didn't, I didn't click it. You, you know why I didn't click it? Because I want God to bless my life. And I want God to bless my marriage. And the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, hey, by the way, what if I had clicked on that? Now, see, here's the, here's the deal. Why would I have clicked on it? See, why would you click on it? I mean, you ever just think this through? Why would, well, because it's kind of neat to see some gal with her clothes off. Because we're guys, and how we're wired, that looks good to us. So I think, yeah, yeah, that's good. So you'll say you go click and you see some gal nude. Now you got a problem. And you know what your problem is? If you know Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. And what kind of spirit is he? What's he called? The loving spirit? He's loving, but is he called the loving spirit? Is he the immutable spirit? Although he's immutable, he's called the what? The Holy Spirit. Well, see, you got a problem now. Because when you go to click, to see this nude girl, because you think that's going to be uh, scintillating, or it's going to bring some sizzle into your life, or it's going to bring some positive, some pleasure into your life. You know what the problem is? You're going to get there, and as soon as you see it, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to feel guilty, and you're going to feel lousy, and you're going to feel rotten, and you're going to feel dirty, and you're going to kick you're going to start kicking yourself in the butt. Why? Gosh, why did I? Right? That's, that's what the enemy does. He promises, but he can never deliver on his promise. The highway of the upright, the highway of the, up, of, of, of the man who loves Christ is to, you see evil, what do you do? You depart. It's real simple. Paul said, flee immorality. 
you run from it. You just run from it. Now, now here's the deal. You, you, and you have to want to kill it. You have to want to destroy it in your life. And once again, if you're into it deep, you're not going to break it by yourself. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to talk to someone. You have to talk to a pastor. You're going to have to talk to a guy that you respect his walk with Christ. You have to tell him what you're doing. And he won't turn you away. Do you guys pray for each other? Does that make sense? It's the only way you break this stuff. Okay, so as a general rule, our job is to depart from evil and, and follow Christ. Now, here's the... Uh, let's, uh, uh, so Proverbs 16, 17. Okay? Uh, go with me to Isaiah, Isaiah 30, verse 15. Isaiah 30. Okay, this is, this is good stuff. So, when, when we cry out to God and we're in crisis and God gives us an immediate answer, there, there's great relief. There's great relief. But we're asking the question, when God doesn't immediately come through and you're crying out and you're just, I mean, you're at the end of your rope and you're waiting and you're waiting for God to come through and what's the delay and what's the problem? What do you do? Because look at you're under incredible pressure. All right. So, so what is the solution here? Before I read the verse, let me say this to you. When you're in a situation and God is not giving you the answer and God is not providing a way of escape, you have to think. You have to think. You have to think. You, you know Christianity is really big on thinking Christianity is really big on the mind. You'll hear the term blind faith. Uh, faith in the Bible isn't blind. Faith is believing that God will do what he has said he will do. That's faith. You take God at his word. And so when you get into a situation and God's not coming through and you're under incredible stress and you I don't know how long I'm going to keep doing this. And the anxiety is mounting and the worry and, and that's, that's such a great force and it can overwhelm us, it can, it can knock us off our feet. What is it that keeps you steady when you're waiting for God to respond? You have got to think about who your God is. We said last week in the Lord's Prayer, and we quoted the Lord's Prayer, I think that was last week, wasn't it? And everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, but... Ultimately, if you just say our Father and stop right there, you're going to be okay. If you say our Father and then you think about who your Father is. Uh, give me some of the characteristics of God. Give me some of His attributes so I can hear you. He's holy. All right, what else? Omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. He knows all things. What? He's immutable. He never changes. You guys are getting big words on me here. He's a loving father. Very good. He's faithful. He's just. He's forgiving. These are all good. Let's keep going. He's gracious. He's what? Perfect. He can't lie. Good. He's sovereign. He's merciful. He's all-knowing. He's a jealous God. He's gracious. He's wise. He's a God of wisdom, isn't he? How did I get out here? <laughs> Sorry. He, he's wise. He's wise. Now, now, so here you are. Here you are. You're in a stress. You got, you got the, the sea in front of you, the army behind you, the mountains. And, I mean, you're feeling it. You're tight. If God doesn't come through, you're finished. And he's not giving you the answer today like you give them. So what do you do? So what do you do? You got to think. You got to think. You ever heard the phrase, come, let us reason together? How do you fight off fear? How do you fight off anxiety? How do you manage fear? How do you control fear? 
you've got to think about who your God is. And it's hard because you've got to make a shift from your emotion to your mind. And what you've got to do in these situations is, is say, Lord, here's what I know. Here's what I know. I feel like I'm doing last week's message again because I want to do Joe Friday again, <laughs> which is just the facts. You've got to go back to the facts. Yeah, I don't want to be here. Yeah, it's stressful. Yeah, it's difficult. All right, what are the facts? All right, the fact is, my Father loves me with an everlasting love. The fact is, He'll never leave me or forsake me. The fact is, He has the power. He could change His situation in a nanosecond. The fact is that He's a God of mercy, and He's a God of grace, and He's a God of forgiveness. And yeah, I've messed up, but, but He doesn't reward me according to my iniquities. You see, He's a merciful God. Oh, and here's the other thing. He's wise. He's wise. And you know what? You know what, Steve? Look it. If I'm here, he knows I'm here. He led me here. He knows the pressure. He understands my thought from afar. He knows everything I'm feeling. He knows stuff about this situation that's threatening that I don't even know about. Yet he's got me here because for me right now, it's the best place for me to be because he's wise. And catch this, at the right time, He's going to deliver me at the right time. And I haven't been delivered yet. I want out of this thing, but he hasn't delivered me yet. Why? Because he's wise. This is not the best time for an answer. Now, it might be at 3 o'clock this afternoon. It might be at 7. I don't know when, but at the right time, at the best time. You know, God is amazing with his timing. Is he not? Yeah. All right, now look at this. Verse 15 of, of Isaiah 30. So you're waiting for the Lord. You're waiting for the Lord. Now, I want you to see this. It says, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, Isaiah 30, verse 15, In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. All right, we're on the trail now. We're still on the highway. Now catch this. You're waiting for God. What does he say? You need to be saved, right? Okay. There's got to be... Now, 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 here's what God's looking to develop in your life when you're waiting for him to save you in a difficult situation. It says, in repentance, or literally, in returning. If, if you've wandered, if you've drifted, one of the purposes of this crisis is to return you to the Lord. Crisis drives us to our knees. Crisis reminds us that without him, we're in trouble. Crisis reminds us when everything is stripped away, you don't know that God is all you need until God is all that you have. So we repent, we return, we give Him first place. And when we give Him first place and we start thinking about who He is in repentance and rest, you will be saved. Now, once again, guys, in order for this to happen, you're going to have to use your mind. I go back to Psalm 57. I think it's verse 2. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes, anybody remember? All things for me. Or, I will cry to God most high, to God who is the transactor of all my affairs. Here's the next line. He will send from heaven and save me. That's where you get the rest. So if you need to repent, if you need to return, you do. But where does the rest come from? Who's my God? Who's my Father? See, that's how Hudson Taylor could hear this horrific news and they come up to see if he's okay. What do you mean he's okay? He's singing, Jesus, I am resting, resting. He's not singing, Jesus, I am panicking, panicking. I've sung that song. I wrote eight verses to that song. <laughs> oh, and by the way, jump down to verse 21. You say, well, how I know? How will God lead me? How will I? Look at verse 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, he's with you. 
Now, this is interesting because this verse says, you'll hear, your ears will hear a word behind you. He's behind you. He's nudging you. But Psalm 23 says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And in, in Israel, shepherds always lead their flocks from the front. So, but because God is omnipresent, he's behind you. He's in front of you. He's to the side of you. While you're waiting under tremendous pressure. He knows where you are. I mentioned this little book, Red Sea Rules, by Robert Morgan. It's really a superb little work. Uh, there's a little chapter in here called Day by Day. Let me, let me read you a little bit here. He says, the 19th century expositor, C.H. McIntosh, believed the Red Sea did not divide throughout all at once, but opened progressively as Israel moved forward so that they needed to trust God for each fresh step. McIntosh wrote, God never gives guidance for two steps at a time. I must take one step, and then I get light for the next. This keeps the heart in abiding dependence upon God. Then Morgan says, end of quote, Morgan says, it is axiomatic that God generally leads his children step by step, provides for us day by day, and cares for us moment by moment. He quotes some verses. Nehemiah 9.19, the pillar of cloud led them forward day by day. Psalm 42.8, day by day. The Lord also pours out his steadfast love upon me. Psalm 110 verse 3, your strength shall be renewed day by day, like morning dew. Uh, Luke 11.3, give us this day our daily bread. Oh, and then tomorrow, give me my bread tomorrow. Uh, Psalm 68.20, blessed day by day be the Lord who bears our burdens. He's got a couple more here. You remember Matthew 6? Jesus said, each day has enough trouble of its own. And three times in that passage, Jesus said, don't be anxious. I remember singing this hymn when I was a kid in church. The hymn is called Day by Day. And some of you guys remember this hymn. Casey Kasem used to play this on his top 20 hymn thing that he'd do on Sunday mornings. You remember that, don't you? It says this, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I've no cause for weary or for fear. Now, here's the thing about days. Days break down into moments. So you got the song day by day, but there's also another great hymn called moment by moment. And I happen to mark that one too. Because sometimes you're under such stress, you don't say, Lord, get me through the day. You say, Lord, get me through to lunch. Or Lord, just get me through the next hour. Get me through these moments. Listen to this hymn. I can hear this melody in my head. We ought to stand and sing this. But we won't. Never a trial that he is not there. Never a burden that he does not bear. Never a sorrow that he does not share. Moment by moment. We're under his care. The eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him. He knows where you are. He knows exactly what's going on. How much time do I have, Lou? Okay. There are times when it's not clear. There, there are times when you think you ought to be moving ahead. There are times when it just you're trying to think through different issues and you're trying to make the right step and it's not clear. 
Can I tell you guys another story out of my life? Are you going to say no? <laughs> About 10 years ago, we had a situation, and we were looking to make a move from where we lived in Coppell. And my kids were real involved at Denton Bible Church, and we were looking to get closer up that area. So we'd been looking. And we were looking for property, and we, you know, we'd been looking five, six months. And we just, nothing was, nothing was right. That. And we'd think, nah, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, and let's just forget it. And then we wouldn't look, and then we would look. And, Anyway, one day I'm looking, and I, I'm, it's just not clear to me, but I'm still, I'm still looking around. I had this sense that something, it wasn't clear. Okay. One day, I'm out driving this area, I'm looking around, and I just, I just got frustrated. And then, and, and, but I thought, you know what? We were, I was going by a property, and there were some people from Denton Bible Church that lived in this property, and, and we knew them a little bit, and. Uh, they had a very unique little property and they, they had a little barn that they converted to a two-bedroom house. And they always had a couple from Dallas Seminary that lived there. Well, the couple that had lived there for four years, when Mary and I would go out of town, they would take care of our kids. Well, this guy just graduated from Dallas Seminary and I needed to get in touch with him. So as I'm driving down the road, I thought I ought to go over there to the Hickersons and just see if they've got Lamar's phone number because I need to get in touch with him. So I go into this property and I knock on the door and Mrs. Dickerson comes to the phone, to the door. And, and didn't know each other all that well. I said, uh, Candy, I'm Steve Fry. She said, yeah, Steve, I know who you are. And, and I said, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of Lamar. And uh, do you have his new phone number? She said, yeah, I, I do. Let me get it for you. So I'm standing at the front door. And she goes up to the kitchen, gets it, and comes back. And uh, I said, well, thanks. I appreciate it. She said, what are you doing out here? And I said, oh, I'm just out here looking for property. And it was like I hit her in the face with a two-by-four. The, the Bible would say her countenance changed. I'll never forget it. I thought, what did I say? Because this lady, I mean, she just, I mean, it was almost like she stepped back and looked at me. And she said, you're looking for property. I said, yeah. I mean, we're looking for an acre or two. She said, you ought to buy this place. And I laughed out loud, like Sarah. <laughs> I laughed. And I said, excuse me, I didn't mean to be rude, but I didn't even know your place was for sale. She said, oh, we never put a sign up front. God gave us this place 20 years ago, and we raised our family here. And, uh, but our daughter has just gotten married, and we have been praying for several years that when she got married, last one, we were going to move to East Texas and build a retreat center. And we've been praying for three years that God would send the right people here. And I said, hey, that's great. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll send them your way. <laughs> and she said, maybe it's you. I said, it's not me. She said, how do you know? I said, well, how much, how much property do you have here? She said, 20 acres. And I said, you got to, you, and it's a very rustic property. It looks like a, a retreat center. I mean, it's, it's not flashy. It's just rustic. It's very rustic. I'll tell you something interesting. They used to have a Christmas tree farm down on the pasture. And we'd gone up there a couple years and cut a Christmas tree. And they had the Young Life kids out there. And it was pretty neat. And I remember the first, because you'd park out front when you'd come into the property. You know, they had a tractor pulling a wagon, you know. I remember looking at the property because they had that little barn place, a little barn house. Then they had a regular house. Then they had a little redwood house. And it was just real small, like a little cottage. And I was trying to figure out what was the main house. This is absolutely true. And I remember looking at that property, and I was trying to figure, I thought, you know, if I had a place like this, I think I'd build a little nicer house. I said that to myself. Okay. So I'm standing at the door, and she said, well, maybe it's you. I said, it's not me. We've got, we got 20 acres here. I said, well, that's why it's not me. Because, uh, you know, I maybe can handle two acres out here. She said, well, you don't understand. We're not looking for the right price. We're looking for the right people. And I said, well, I'm sure you'll find them. <laughs> she said, it could be you. I said, it couldn't be me. 
I said, look, I'm just telling you, I'm not even am I not in the ballpark, I'm not on the parking lot on this deal. She said, but Steve, we're not looking for the right price. And for the next 20 minutes, she tried to convince me to consider that property. I thought, I mean, I thought this lady was a little off her rocker. She was real sweet. Uh, but it was ludicrous. So when I could appropriately leave, I said, well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Left. Didn't even mention it to Mary for several days. A few days later, we were, I'm, I'm in the kitchen. Mary and Rachel are cleaning up the kitchen. I'm watching, as I usually do. I'm saying, way to go. And we're just talking. I said, hey, you know, the funny thing happened. Because we all know that property. We'd been up there. I said, you know, the funny thing And I told him the story. I went by the Hickersons, and I, and I just said, here's what happened. And, and uh, Mary said, that's really interesting. I said, yeah. She said, I wonder if the Lord's in that. I said, no, he's not in that. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. Why would, what would we do with 20 acres? I mean, I can't even keep the yard mowed here. And then later that night, my mom called from California, and my folks have been in real estate for years. And my mom uh, said, hey, have you found any, any land at all? And, you, and I said, no. I said, you know, a funny thing happened. And I told my mom the story. And my mom said, here's a quote. My mom said, huh. I said, Steve, I wonder if the Lord's in that. I said, no, Mom, he's not in that. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And several days later, I was thinking, you know, and I thought, this is nuts. I mean, this is nuts. And they told me the price they'd give it to us at. And I thought, that's a phenomenal price. But I couldn't even, I don't even think I could qualify for that. So I got online to one of those little calculator things. And I'd been, every time I'd get a little extra money, I'd put on our principal. Because my plan was to pay that little Fox and Jacobs house off like that. And uh, so I got on the calculator, and you know what it said I could qualify for? The exact amount they were willing to let us have it for. And then the computer said, maybe God's in it. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Anyway. And then I thought, you know what? I'll talk to my buddy Dean Gage, because Dean's real conservative financially, and I'll just tell Dean about this next time we're on a trip. So I ran up by Dean, and I told him the whole thing. Just so Dean could tell me, that's really a dumb idea. And I remember we're on the plane, and I'm telling Dean, he's listening, he goes, you know, Steve, this is a direct quote. This is absolutely true. He said, you know, Steve, I wonder if the Lord's in that. <laughs> About two weeks later, I'm in California, and I'm catching a plane at the San Francisco airport to go to Orange County. And I'm walking up to the gate, and some guy goes, hey, Steve. And I turn around, and it's a guy that was, uh, it's, he was in my first church in California years before. I said, hey, Norm, how you doing? I said, you on this flight? He goes, yeah. So there weren't many people. We wound up sitting together. So we got on the plane. I said, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you going to Orange County for? He goes, my son's buying his first house. And since I'm a real estate attorney, he said, Dad, come on down. And I went, oh, yeah, Norm's a real estate attorney. And Norm's a great guy, but he's real conservative. And he's like a deal breaker. I mean, that's what he does. He's really good at it. You know, great guy. And I thought, I'm going to tell this to Norm, and he'll tell me it's really stupid. So we're flying for 45 minutes, then I'm telling Norm the whole story, and just as we're coming in to land, Norm looks at me, and he said, here's what he said. He said, Steve, I don't see any red flags. I said, you don't see any? He goes, no. He said, okay. That happened to me 11 times. Because Proverbs says, in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Eleven times. I'd never envisioned this. I didn't make any sense to me. I was at the Billy Graham Center at the Cove. We had men's ministry leaders, and we had a discussion, and we were talking about walking by faith, and somehow someone asked me, is there anything in your life that you're having to step out, and you're not sure God wants you to step out? And I said, yeah, I'm thinking about some property. And they said, tell us about it. And I did. And 20 minutes later, I got 65 guys around me praying that God will open that property. And it really freaked me out. I'm just, I mean, it, it, it really freaked me out because I, I wasn't even looking for something like that. It didn't make any, okay. Why am I, I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. Except that it was unclear to me. But then we put our house up and things weren't moving real well and we got two full price offers on our house. And we sold it and then we 
And next thing I know, we're packing up and moving in this deal. And the night before we go to closing, we meet with these folks. And Mrs. Eckerson said, Steve, she said, I got to tell you something. Uh, you remember the day you came in and I said, you ought to buy this place. And I was so stunned when you said you were looking for property. And I said, well, yeah. She said, I know that took you back because I, I, I know I reacted strongly. She said, can I tell you why I reacted so strongly? And I said, well, sure. She said, this was a huge decision. We talked about it for three years. It wasn't clear to us if God was really leading us to make this move. We had a lot of emotional memories here, raising our kids. Um, she said, what I did was, I reached a point of crisis. So I took a day, I turned off the phones, uh, I fasted, and I prayed in the back bedroom. And from basically 8 in the morning till 5, I asked God to make it crystal clear so we couldn't miss it. And then at the end of my prayer, I said, Lord, I have little faith. I'm going to ask you to make this so crystal clear. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Whoever it is that you have to take this property that you gave us, would you bring them to the front door? And would you have them tell me that they're looking for property? And seven days later, you knocked on my door. That's why I reacted the way that you did. And in two months, we've been there 10 years. You say, why are you there? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I just know we're there. And God's put us there. I know we've been able to have different kids live there who were in difficult situations, who don't have families. It's been interesting to watch that happen through my kids bring their friends there. It's just been interesting. It wasn't clear to me for six, seven months. But let me tell you something. When you wait for his timing, he'll make it clear. And in, and in the interim, you go day by day and moment to moment. Oh, yeah, and depart from evil. Let's pray. We commit it to you, Father. Give wisdom to every guy that needs it today who's waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.